0: Welcome to Soulful Insights, conversations exploring the synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. I'm Ruth Caterellis, psychologist, writer and performer.
1: And I'm Rebecca Harris, author, psychotherapist and educational consultant. These conversations are based on our studies, observations and personal experiences. Take what resonates, leave the rest.
0: Welcome to Soulful Insights, conversations exploring the synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. I'm Ruth Kateralis, psychologist, writer and performer.
1: And I'm Rebecca Harris, author, psychotherapist and educational consultant. These conversations are based on our studies, observations and personal experiences. Take what resonates, leave the rest.
0: Welcome to Soulful Insights. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to Elders past and present. We'd also like to acknowledge that sovereignty was
1: never ceded. So our topic today is anxiety.
0: <laughs> she says with a great big smile. <laughs>
1: Yay. Uh, so starting with anxiety, what, what is it? What does it feel like?
0: I think it's safe to say that everybody experiences anxiety at different points or maybe at one point at least in your life. It's something that I think is pretty common to the human experience. And the fact that we're living in a a world that is changing so dramatically and in lots of ways so unpredictably, it's not surprising that people feel a bit anxious. What is it is a really big question. So there are different things I think that anxiety is. Sometimes anxiety can be a combination of emotions, little hurts, little frustrations or angers or things that we have not expressed and that we maybe feel we shouldn't experience. So if somebody is told that, you know, anger is a bad thing and you feel angry, you can feel a level of anxiety because I've got this emotion that I'm sitting on that I'm not supposed to express. Or if you feel vulnerable but you feel that that's weakness – then you can be sitting on that, and that can create anxiety. I tend to think of anxiety as primarily future focused. So it's a product of what if. So it might be that, you know, if I've got this angry feeling, what if I express it? What is somebody going to think of me? Or if I'm vulnerable, what if? What are they going to think? How am I going to be perceived? We feel anxiety sometimes when we have an expectation of error. I'm going to do this talk or I'm going to go and meet somebody for the first time. But what if I stuff it up? What if I make a mistake? I don't want to be seen as making mistakes, so therefore anxiety. Sometimes it's an anticipation of a particular feeling, maybe humiliation, rejection. I'm in a relationship. I'm scared that this person's going to abandon me or reject me or betray me. I feel anxious. Sometimes we feel anxiety when there is a level of kind of unprecedented happiness or joy. I've got this feeling and everything feels like it's great. When's the other shoe going to drop? When is it going to go bad? One of the things that I think is always important to recognise is that it's a product of the way we're thinking and it's pretty well always future-focused. So in the present, there is no anxiety, really. If I'm sitting here talking to you, even if I'm sitting here talking to you thinking about how this podcast's going to go, I'm not nervous about the current conversation. I might be nervous about or anxious about how it's going to be received. And so that's always future focused. What do you think?
1: Well, based on all of that, I guess what I'm just alerted to and I agree. I agree with those things is that it's a defense, isn't it? So there's an element of self-protection. ...which I always find a helpful thing to think about with anxieties... ...to support us to not get so cross at ourselves for being anxious. It's a misguided sort of protection. So if I'm worried that I'm going to humiliate myself in that conversation... ...and maybe I just won't have it. And then I'm protected. Mm. But what happens then is that the reinforcement happens... So, there's no opportunity to have that conversation, have an experience, a successful experience, or even an unsuccessful experience that I survive and I'm okay. So, I feel that there's uh, anxiety, it sort of becomes self perpetuating in a lot of ways. It's, it can be very limiting when it does, when it alters our behavior, it limits us. And we can become more and more and more anxious because our world or the things that we are anxious about get smaller and smaller. So I'm aware of that when I think, think about anxiety and I absolutely agree that it's not something that really exists in that present moment. Being present, I think, is in a lot of ways the antithesis and the answer to how to cope with anxiety and certainly what has helped me.
0: I think you're right that anxiety can absolutely be paralysing and debilitating and also that, yes, I think if you're anxious about a situation or an event or doing something, it's almost never anywhere near as bad as we can imagine it to be. And it is a way of trying to control an outcome. If I can think about every possible thing that could go wrong, then maybe I can control it somehow which I can't because really control, I think, is an illusion anyway. I can't control what the other people are going to do. I don't know in advance how I'm going to feel, so how I'm going to do whatever that thing is that I'm anxious about doing. And so really all it does is stuff up my present by taking myself to that place where I am worrying, I'm going over it over or I'm ruminating about something. I think the fact that it is so debilitating is one of the things that makes it such a problem for individuals because it, it stops you thinking clearly. It can stop you feeling and engaging with other people. It can stop your creativity. It can get in the way of you being able to do, you know, lots of great things. Imagine things happening positively. It can stop us really getting in touch with what we want, what we desire or a future that we think could be fantastic. Instead, as you said, our world can get smaller and smaller.
1: Yeah. When I think about um, my experiences of anxiety, it's a physical experience for me too. Absolutely. I feel it in my stomach. It inhibits my eating. I've had moments so intense that I have ringing in my ears and you know really extreme physical responses which is very different to when I think about you know worry or stress or I think about you know I do public speaking and there's an element of being heightened I it's a little bit nerve-wracking I enjoy it but I'm more heightened I'm aware of what's around me I'm aware of how fast I'm speaking what my heart rate is doing. I'm aware of all those things, but it's not debilitating and it's not stopping me from doing anything. So I think of that as sort of a, um, you know, down the lower end of the continuum.
0: And I think, you know, that's a really good point because those emotions, also things like sweaty palms or your heart pounding. Those things can also be symptoms of excitement and adrenaline and feeling really fantastic about something. So often it is about the way that we're appraising a situation that is what either turns it into adrenaline or anxiety and which therefore gets in the way of can I perform in a way that is enhanced by the emotion, enhanced by the adrenaline or actually have I tipped over into a place where I've stopped functioning and my system is actually now starting to shut down a bit And a lot of that's about the kind of neurotransmitters that are released into the brain at the time. You know, if we get too much of serotonin, too much of the dopamine, then our functioning starts to become impaired. But again, it's always about how am I thinking about this situation? Our sympathetic nervous system does not know the difference between something that's real or something that we are imagining and so when we get stuck in the anxiety loop, and it is a loop mm-hmm. because thoughts are magnetic. So if we start to think negatively about something, more thoughts like that will come until, you know, they get bigger and bigger and that loop has got momentum. When we get stuck in that and our system starts to get overloaded, that's when it becomes really problematic.
1: Yeah. And as we were saying, it's it can be debilitating but it is interesting the way that a lot of those feelings close to each other and i know you know working with kids when we when we loosely group feelings and um you know the yellow zone is where excitement lives but it's also where anxiety lives and so often you know you think about the yeah the birthday party where the birthday kid ends up in tears or having a little tantrum it's the excitement can tip over but it is you know so much around that like you said it's our thoughts and yeah when I do reflect back on a period of time in my life where I was where I experienced really high levels of anxiety I did also experience really high levels of elation and that was really interesting experience actually and that I think helped to bring curiosity to it which is also a really great antidote to anxiety I think like with so many things when you can experience that feeling that emotion of anxiety without judging yourself for it without following every thought to the the end and the conclusion but instead be curious about it and non-judgmental, it can be quite freeing and it also saves us from that other thing where we try to get away from the yucky feeling that we don't like. About avoid, anxiety.
0: avoid, avoid. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's
1: part of the loop, isn't it, is is avoidance. Yeah. yeah. And I think being
0: able to articulate what the specific anxiety is about that situation becomes important too because when we know we have much more power to be able to diminish it when we're in a state of generalized you know fog of anxiety then it can absolutely feel incredibly overwhelming But if you can break it down and go, all right, well, you know, in that instance, I'm I'm anxious about this, you know, maybe I'm anxious that I'm going to be compared with somebody or maybe I'm anxious about being betrayed or I'm anxious about making a mistake here because I don't want to be seen like a fool. If you can articulate what those anxieties are, then you can have those conversations with yourself. All right, that's what I'm feeling. Where does it come from? Okay, that's where it comes from. I get that. Now, how do I talk myself through it? And get to the other side of it. I don't have to avoid it. Because in the doing of that, you also break those patterns. Whereas if you keep avoiding, the same patterns keep coming back. But if you can work your way through them and understand what they are, those anxieties will, I want to say never, but they are much less likely to come back with the same kind of strength. And so each time they come back, you can kind of diminish the intensity of that to the point where... You kind of go, "Hmm, I might have been really anxious at one point about, you know, getting up in public speaking, but now actually it's a breeze because my system and myself are much more used to it. I've, I'm more practiced in that, so it's easier."
1: Yeah, and that um, that can take a long time. I think it's fair to say to change your brain, and we know that you know those neurons that fire together wire together, and so our thoughts do get bigger and bigger the more often we have those repetitive thoughts but it's definitely doable to change to change that and again just like coming back to working with children I'm just thinking about a a little person who was struggling with anxiety and and school and having a, a conversation around the fact that thoughts are not facts feelings are not facts just because you feel anxiety or fear doesn't actually mean there is something there that's going to harm you. But using that sort of method that you're talking about and being able to talk yourself, well, what are the facts here and uh, what is actually accurate as opposed to the, the direction that my anxiety is taking me in can really do a lot to shift that when you, when you can identify what it is. That you're anxious about? I think it's really important
0: because it's a bit like taking the power back you know I've given all of this power to this event that I am feeling anxious about but I don't know how it's going to work out I don't know the realities I don't know who's going to be there or what so I've given away all this power but if I can talk myself through it then I reclaim that and I bolster myself up rather than creating a monster out of this situation.
1: Well, that's true. And if the situation, if you if avoidance comes in and you, you never have the situational, well, then it always is going to exist as that monster. But if you do get to have it and it turns out not to be a monster, then you've got something else there, another experience and something that contradicts that initial anxiety monster.
0: And I think those moments are incredibly important because it's those moments where we conquer something or we face something that we've been anxious about that create our self-esteem and the more that we do that the more that we have those moments where our esteem is bolstered because we face something that was difficult the stronger we get because we have more self-confidence and we believe in ourselves a bit more and so again the power of that anxiety is diminished there's something about the way people do their anxiety Hmm. that I think is important to look at you know how do people do their anxiety and what does that even mean
1: I think um, that's a really good question because I think often we look at something and we think we know what we're looking at, but underneath it is something else. And behaviour that might look like anger or conflict or opposition can often be someone doing anxiety.
0: I agree. I mean, fighting can be a way to do anxiety or, as you say, stand up and find a different way to defend, but defend in a kind of an attacky way. Different addictions are a way of doing one's anxiety, be it a chemical or a um, mechanical addiction, you know, certain patterns or certain things like checking before you leave the house or certain little rituals that feel like if I do those things which is, of course, OCD, if I do those things, then everything will be okay. The world will be, you know, that kind of magical thinking.
1: Mm. And it does generally come with a moment of relief, but it's just a moment and it's so reinforcing, isn't it?
0: As are any kind of addictions and I think that's the, the issue, isn't it? So sometimes the way that we do our anxiety becomes a problem in itself. If I'm a teenager who is feeling really anxious about being in a social situation and I realise that drinking or taking drugs alleviates that, and also if I'm a teenager who has been exposed to certain things in my childhood, I may already be addicted to the release of serotonin, so I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that in the substances that I take. I'm looking for that in my interactions with people. And so we form that kind of chemical addiction there as well. And so it's not about lack of willpower, bad human, whatever any judgments might be. It's about anxiety and a reliance, if you like, on something that alleviates it.
1: Yeah, and I think that uncertainty can be a factor too. So that fear of the unknown... Uh, can drive behaviours too to create something that's known so if I have anxiety about how as a child perhaps about how a particular adult's going to interact with me and it's unknown and that's frightening that's generating my anxiety because I don't know how to prepare then I perhaps become oppositional or difficult or create conflict and then ah relief I know what's coming next they're going to get cross at me or whatever's going to happen.
0: Because it's predictable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So
1: again, just, you know, creating a, a way to avoid that thing that we're experiencing.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, where we feel like sometimes having a fight or conflict is more comfortable than being in a state of anxiety It really does let you know how uncomfortable that anxiety is, that sense of not knowing, not being able to predict what's coming or predict an outcome.
1: Yeah, it is. It is incredibly uncomfortable. And then, as we've discussed before, like trying to avoid the feeling brings a whole other world of pain. And that's, I think, so common with anxiety because it's, we do try to avoid it and then you end up, with your anxiety plus whatever you've created to try to avoid it in whatever way you do your anxiety yes that
0: double whammy which is perhaps most obvious in things like addictions but it has other subtler ways I mean it might mean that I avoid relationships because I'm anxious about loss or about intimacy so it might be that there are other things that one avoids maybe I avoid that promotion because the notion that I'm going to succeed or that I'm going to get the promotion and then I'm going to be accountable or have to actually come up with the goods and I'm going to be embarrassed when I don't make us avoid certain situations like that that otherwise could be perceived as incredibly positive yeah so we get stuck really don't we procrastination is another way that people do their anxiety i'm not going to do that thing i know i need to do that thing but i'm not going to do that thing yet because i'm not quite ready to do that thing and what am i going to feel when i do it or how is it going to be or is it going to be easy or
1: difficult to do yep another a classic avoidance strategy just put it off to the side don't look at it if i don't look at it it can't hurt me but you end up creating a whole other set of issues So how do you think we deal
0: as a society with anxiety and the prevalence of it at the moment?
1: It absolutely feels like the prevalence is extremely high and I would suggest that post-COVID lockdowns and that period of time that it's absolutely increased. And it's interesting because what we're talking about really is saying that being in the present moment is a way to combat anxiety but that's not how society really operates is it no gosh that would be a good change
0: it absolutely asks us to think ahead what if what if this happens what if that happens be careful take insurance save for your retirement pay your mortgage it absolutely encourages us to think ahead in ways that are not necessarily productive in an emotional sense. I think your point about COVID is really important because we all experienced a sense of powerlessness in that and I think, you know, what is power really? It's the ability to be able to act and we couldn't act during that time so we all felt pretty powerless. Maybe not so much the people who were getting out and being able to do their work but I think anxiety is a huge response to feelings of
1: powerlessness. Which is where that taking it back comes in and I think although we do operate in a society that isn't focused on the present moment but is very future focused, there are ways that we can bring presence in to our daily lives and I do feel like there's a bit more of that happening too and I know, for example, in schools that it, that it's happening more and more, that there are moments of whether it's called meditation or quiet time or whatever it is you know encouragement for children to pause and I think that with sort of more of the rise of just the understandings of the benefits of mindfulness and meditation that a lot of people are experiencing the benefits but having said that it also is important to recognize that we're working contrary to what society is telling us and that actually any little any little moments that we can grab of presence are helpful. We don't need to be sitting and meditating for half an hour a day, wonderful if we can, but I think, I don't know, that's not an answer to um, how society can change, but as in, as individuals or as couples or as families or as... Classrooms or workplaces, they are. It is something that we can do to invite moments of mindfulness in for soothing and settling anxiety and future focused worry.
0: Because in lots of ways, it's recognizing, isn't it, what gives us those moments of peace? And some people do find it in meditation. I am certainly one of those. And some people find it in exercise, yeah. um, in using their bodies. And it is about finding a way for you that works essentially, that kind of brings you back, if you like, to your centre because the thing about anxiety is that it takes us out of ourselves. Our connection to ourselves has been disrupted because we're, so much in our thoughts that we've lost the connection to our emotional selves and you know I mean this for me is a, a distinction I guess between emotions for me are a clear indicator in lots of ways about how I'm relating to my world because I'm feeling something but we don't know where our thoughts have come from. <laughs> You know, sometimes it might be something their parents said or somebody made a comparison between you and somebody else and that still sits there or, you know, there's an expectation that somebody says that you should do this or somebody made some value judgment and called you lazy at one point. So we are fueled by a lot of those things. But they're often not really about who we are. They are things that have been shoved in there that we're still reacting to. And I think what's important about practices like mindfulness is that they make us much more conscious of what our thoughts are. Mm. Because if you're not conscious of them, you can't change them. Yeah. And so we tend to think, well, you know, my mind thinks those things, like I, I can't control it. Well, yeah, you can. Is it easy? No. But the more you are conscious of where your mind goes, the more you can make choices about where you focus it and where you stop it from going. Does it require work? Yep, absolutely. It requires the noticing. It requires the discipline of pulling it back. It also, again, requires the kindness to go, okay, my mind's jumped down that really well-worn path there and I haven't caught it and now I'm in a loop and I'm going to have to let this play out. Maybe I'm going to have a nap or do something, try and distract myself like I might You know, a a kid. If I want to distract them into a different place of being, and then I just go, "All right, what happened? What took me down that route? And what's going to stop me going down there? How can I recognize it next time and circumvent that same old pattern so that the grass grows?"
1: I think shifting away from that idea that we are our mind is so important because our, let's say, capital S self, you know, yourself, isn't your thoughts and your mind and so to be able to find to be able to notice and become aware of the thoughts in itself is a powerful thing to be able to say I'm noticing that I'm having that thought again or to be able to say I'm having the thought that you know there's a little bit of distance between your mind and your thoughts and you mm. I- it's really
0: interesting to hear you say that because I'm kind of going, all right, well, what's the difference between our mind and our thoughts? Because I think that our mind is, our consciousness is us. But for me, it's about what are the thoughts that have been overlaid? What are the thoughts that somebody else has planted? What are the, what are the thoughts that are not really the essence of who I am? And I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't necessarily associate consciousness and mind but yeah let's see yeah it's
0: interesting (laughs) because you know then we get into the whole question about well what's the difference between my mind and my brain
1: yeah you know and is it in my head or is it somewhere else well (laughs) I think our mind is
0: is other places you know and I think that for me because our consciousness I think is other places Mm. our brain is in our head (laughs) and that's a big conversation yeah but I think you know for me it's about working out what are the thoughts that are mine or that I really adhere to and want to stay loyal to, if you like? So if I have a thought in my head that, that is negative about somebody else while well, I'm projecting something and, you know, maybe I want to question that. Well, is that thought true, whatever that thought happens to be? And if I've got a negative thought about me, maybe I want to interrogate that. Is that true of me? Because I think using capital S, the self, I think the self is not self-critical. I think it is much more compassionate and kind to self and others. So that's where I think it's like, what are those thoughts? Whose thoughts are they? Where did they come from? And do I want to stay attached to them? Because if they're not serving me, if they don't feel good,
1: I can ditch them and get some new ones. That's right. And that's where I guess that whether you call it values or something else comes in. So if I say that it's my intent to operate in the world in a caring manner, caring toward myself and toward others, if there are thoughts that I'm having that are contrary to that, well, then they're the ones I don't want. And there are ways, I guess, to use that There might be a different word to values but to identify what are the key things here and is something other than that happening with these thoughts which tend to be the ones that lead you down the path toward anxiety or to other restrictive experiences. So I guess given how much, um, you know, we're talking about thoughts a lot because they are so relevant to anxiety but we can interrupt those thoughts and we can use other things too, like our um, senses or our behavior. And I guess that's where we are back to mindfulness because that's what it does. So it's using senses, it's, it's enacting a behavior of being present, still doing or exercise, using your body in a particular way that is much more integrated than just following a thought. You don't have to follow your thoughts. In fact, it's pretty fascinating when you attempt to follow your thoughts, not in the direction they're headed, but in the direction that they came from, because they don't really come from anywhere, (laughs) is my experience when I've got tricky thoughts. Trace it back and actually it's quite still and calm in there. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think that's an interesting point. Sometimes I think our thoughts do come from the thoughts around us when we were kids, that were planted there. But, yes, sometimes they come. They can feel completely random and like where did that come from? You know, there is a theory that all the thoughts that anybody has ever thought are just kind of floating around in the universe and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you walk past a bubble of thoughts sometimes and it attaches itself to you. But <laughs> whether that were true or not, I think it's a good reason to kind of go, well, all right, what are my thoughts? Are they feeling good? Are they truthful or accurate to the kind of person that I want to be that I may mean to be and if I'm wanting to be somebody who's living a relatively peaceful life then maybe I want to rethink them
1: Mm. well as you said before is it serving me if it's not serving me well then what am I doing
0: it makes me think about one of the other issues around anxiety the kind of perfection anxiety syndrome if you like where You know, I I doubt myself, I'm not feeling great about myself so I try and be perfect and of course I can't be perfect because perfection doesn't exist and so then I feel disappointed with myself so I beat myself up and give myself a hard time and then I try again to be perfect and so that kind of self-critical striving for some illusory ideal becomes self-destructive because you end up in this cycle of feeling bad about yourself so mindfulness and being really conscious about where you're at, what you're doing, allowing yourself the space to do whatever it is that you're doing or however it is that you're being without that kind of critical judgment means that you can actually move out of that cycle as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's so much space for curiosity, which I think essentially is non-judgmental. But I find that just such a useful tool in times when I do get a little rush of anxiety to have open curiosity that is where, well, well, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there. And with, with care and compassion. And it, for me, is really effective in not following a thought through or getting stuck in a loop because it's vast and open. It's not a closed thing to say. It's interesting. I wonder what is going on there. I think you're right because
0: as soon as you open that space up, you've moved away from fear, which is kind of the basis of of the anxiety, if you like, you know. And so it provides that space to explore as opposed to that need to control. I have to know, I have to predict, I have to understand, which we can't. We don't know exactly how people are going to respond or how we're going to respond. So the curiosity is incredibly important.
1: Yeah, and it's the opposite to that controlling and it's the opposite to, to avoidance. So it's almost a leaning in, but it's a not leaning into the thought patterns, just toward the experience. And I think the leaning
0: into an emotional response to anything, if you're curious about it, it will lead you somewhere that will enlighten you about something to do with you and your relationship with the world. And again, all of those little insights, all of that understanding means that you can move away from those places of feeling paralyzed and stuck because there are some signposts there about a way to move forward. Even if in the moment it's uncomfortable, even in the moment I feel like I'm lost in this anxiety loop and I'm not going to get out of it tomorrow morning, I've got a better indication of maybe what I need to do or where I need to go to be able to take me in a different direction rather than this well-worn one that is not helpful for me.
1: Absolutely. I think that is so true and that almost um, like a surrender, which in the moment can be difficult and can feel uncomfortable, but when you're surrendering to that discomfort, like you say, even if it's not in the moment, it can be after a bit of a sleep with a bit of a shift that things do become more clear. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, I really like that, thinking about the signposts rather than sort of spinning around in a circle of, of patterns, of loops of avoidance or, or attempts at control.
0: Yes, because that resistance in those moments just makes it harder. I mean, the letting, the letting go or the surrendering, you know, again, it's a little bit like maybe being in a river that letting it take you down as opposed to trying to paddle uphill and not going anywhere but feeling really uncomfortable in the process rather than just let it take you where it's going to take you. And when you get there, then you can make a decision about oh, what you want to do from there. And hopefully you'll have a bit of clarity in that. I mean, it also reminds me of one of the places of where we started, you know, anxiety about all of these emotions that we maybe haven't identified that we're feeling for one reason or another. You know, maybe I'm really angry at my spouse or my You know, but to actually acknowledge that and to therefore have the conversation that I need to have creates a level of anxiety. So in some ways, it you know, it feels easier to just, as you said, avoid. But those little moments, whether we deal with them by having the conversation or by registering we're having a reaction that maybe we need to deal with in ourselves, again, they clarify. And so the anxiety can kind of a little bit like a fog if you like, or part of the fog, maybe the part of that fog of anxiety can just drift away because we've elucidated something in there that we hadn't seen before.
1: Yeah, and it is it's an interesting experience when you have that moment of realisation and think, oh, that's what I'm feeling. But, you know, our defences are really inbuilt and so they're perhaps trying to protect us from something so it does require that bit of work to not follow through with that defensive response and instead to lean toward with curiosity, be a bit more open, surrender to see what is actually there.
0: So I think we've just done a little bit on anxiety, see how it resonated for you. And again, take what you like and leave the rest. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Soulful Insights. Follow us for more content. And feel free to reach out and let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear on a future episode.